Hi, I'm Ed Goodman and welcome to episode two of the Freelance Heroes podcast. Today I talk to Merle Calvert of Ferilio. We discuss why freelancers have been so important to the startup and growth of her business. She tells us how freelancers can use their advantage when pitching to a larger client and we also discuss frogs. Enjoy. So I'm delighted to welcome uh, Merle Calvert from the CEO of Ferilio uh, to, to join us today. Hello, Merle. Hi Ed, thank you for having uh, me. So I, <laughs> thank you for coming along. Now we're going to talk, um, we've got so much to cover. Um, we're, we're doing this in the middle of the lockdown as well, so inevitably we'll talk about the impact on you and freelancers in that too. But I just, I want to start with the, well I guess let's start with where we are now and an understanding for anyone who's not experienced it before of who Ferilio are and then I think we'll go back a bit to how we got to this point. That sounds like a good start. Um, who Frilio are? Well, um, we are an online platform that is stuffed full of solutions for small businesses. Uh, finance, tax, HR, law, sales, marketing, you name it, we do a bit of all of it and it's just evolving and getting ever bigger as more and more people sort of get involved. It's it's a platform that provides knowledge, materials, videos, checklists, infographics, um, and of course, experts. And we have a huge ecosystem. They are such a joy, massive, massive community of experts up and down the UK who come on board in their teams, in their firms, sometimes as individuals to share the knowledge because we are I'm a huge believer that knowledge is power, but only when you share it. So our mission uh, collectively and through the platform is to ensure that no small business, whether you are a freelancer, a startup, uh, a pre-entrepreneur who's got the dream and thinking about it, or you've been running a while as a you know longer established small business, none of you should struggle or fail because you don't have access to the core information and the critical materials that you do start, grow and thrive. Um, so that's essentially who we are. Um, I like to describe us as a great big digital cookbook full of recipes that small businesses want. So, you know, we might wake up in the morning and think, God, you know, this is just getting impossible. I need to take on some help. Um, and we'll help you find the right recipe to achieve help. Um, and that can come in many forms. So we'll give you a list of the ingredients. You can work your way through them with a, a sort of trusted methodology. And at the end, we'll hopefully spit out your instruction to a freelancer or an employee or an apprentice uh, or somebody that you might want. And we do that across the board. So whatever the outcome is that you wake up in the morning want to achieve, uh, we've either got a recipe for that already uh, or we're working on it right now together with the community and with the experts. Brilliant. And I, I love the recipe uh, analogy as well. And of course, all the links will be in the show notes. And I'll ask you that a little bit later on. Uh, before we actually go to the backstory, um, there's something that you mentioned in there that I just want to grab hold of, which is around the fact that you have a community of experts up and down the country. Now, of course, Freelance Heroes is a community. So I want to ask from your perspective how vital it is for you, for Ferilio, but also for those you work with, how vital a community is to be able to succeed, grow, kind of build your business forward. I think community is is vital, Ed. I think, you know, community is what defines us as individuals. It's what creates opportunities. It's where we take inspiration. Um, 
and it's where we find the bulk of everything that, that we need. I quote you shamelessly, so this is going to make you giggle, but you have this wonderful saying that something like 99% of everything we need is already known or can be provided uh, by somebody that's already within our network. And if you've got the right network, I 100% believe that that's true. Um, if you don't, then it's probably a signal that you need to expand your community or your network to uh, embrace the kinds of people who do know. And I think building community can be done very easily. It doesn't have to be a pain. It doesn't have to be a stress. Um, it won't happen overnight uh, unless, of course, you join somebody like uh, yourselves with Freelance Heroes or you join one of the uh, sort of organisations that are relevant to what you do. But I think it's absolutely vital. So how did you go about building yours? I mean, it, there's a big part of the community is is the trust element that comes with it. Mm. A trust that you're not going to be judged, a trust that you're being given sound advice or even trust that people can, can be misguided, although less intentionally. So how did you find, how did you build that side of your community? How did you find those that, 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 help, that helped and are helping you? That's a really good question. I'm a big believer that good people are, are magnetic, so they magnetize other people. Um, and word of mouth is is very powerful in, in much of this, whether that's sort of the digital world of mouth over the social channels, which can very quickly build following and community if they're done in the right way. Um, through to just, you know, personal connections. I'm, I'm long in the tooth. I'm sort of 20 years a business and, and lawyer before, a businesswoman and lawyer before I became an entrepreneur for the last five, six years. Um, and I'm, this is my third startup. So, you know, you, you, you pick, you pick up, that sounds really dodgy. You pick up great people along the way, right? You sort of, you know, who inspires you, you know, who you love having conversations with. And funnily enough, some of the people who I think are probably the most powerful members of, of the network that I have today were utterly useless to me five or 10 years ago. Others who were brilliant five or 10 years ago to my career giggle now and say, well, I'm happy to come and throw some paint on the walls and I'm happy to be a sounding board, but I've got no idea what you're talking about right now. So I think it's, <laughs> there are other people who probably build a community far more strategically than, than I did, but I'm, I'm a real people person. I think you, you collect around you the people that you, you just love to be around. They're not always the people who are gonna say yes to you or agree with you. I think you need a very diverse community, but you also join other people's communities. And I think it's good to experiment. So I've joined lots of communities, some I've stayed with, some I haven't stayed with, but it's it's the people that you meet in the context that are most relevant to you that I think help you to, to build that up. Um, I, I think suggest, find the really powerful ones. Your, yours is I, a I'd very suggest. powerful one. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Interestingly, so on the strategic side, I suspect that the better communities are those that are more born out of organic word of mouth, if you like, than, than necessarily the strategic side of it. Although if anyone in here is listening and is a designer, please do create uh, I've been picked up by Merle t-shirts uh, that we can then um, somehow <laughs> market. I think that would be... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> email it to hello at freelance-heroes.com right moving on though so thank you for the story of kind of where Ferilio are now but how did you get to this point you kind of touched on your legal background but mm. um and other startups too but this is obviously something that is that that either you saw a need for or that was particularly important to you in uh, maybe a combination of a bunch of things so 
what started this process that has got us to where Ferilio is now? So the really, the really way back backstory um, was that I was a lawyer working uh, for the music industry in the very late 90s, and it was the point in time when Napster emerged, and it threw the music industry into utter flat spin. Nobody saw it; couldn't have been predicted. Uh, it came from complete left of field, and and most of the industry at the time was like, ah, nothing will, you know, this this won't happen. It can't be done. Um, and I was like the black sheep of the business at the time because I was running around going, well, somebody just buy this. It's amazing, because what I fell in love with was the way that it democratized music. Suddenly, anyone, it didn't matter who you were, you could get hold of stuff that you'd never had access to before. You'd have had to pay a fair bit for. You could also upload your own stuff, however good or, or um, questionable it was, um, and find out what people thought. So suddenly music became, you know, multi-genre in a way that we'd never imagined. Artists obviously were very nervous about it, but what it kicked off was this kind of creative anarchy that was just magic. And I remember saying to uh, one of the agents at the time, he was looking after Dido and a few others, I'm now showing my age, um, God, wouldn't it be amazing if you could do this with law? Um, and he thought I was completely mental. But it's one of those conversations that haunted me through the years. And I went and did a, a, you know, a multitude of other things in, in industry as well as in law. Um, but it wasn't until really probably just after the Olympics that I was back in an American law firm um, working for a lot of businesses who were in tech that it sort of resurrected all of this and and most of my career I'd been very much on the sort of large corporate side but you get to a point where you just think yeah it's all very well and good but it's a bit superficial um, and I'm doing the same stuff and it isn't really what inspires me and I got um, the opportunity to work for an insurance business who were building um, or wanted to build something that would democratize law. Insurers have, have long been the sort of gap stop to compensate for big law firms not really being excited by working for small businesses. We're not profitable. We're a bit needy. We're, we, you know, you're not going to win the next enormous international account by saying, hey, I work for X graphic designer down the road. You know, look at look at my portfolio of, of uh, clients. Um, and it was it was one of those moments where you think, oh, I don't know enough about small business. I would have loved to have been one. I sort of flirted on a number of occasions of trying myself and failed dismally. Um, but they said to me at the time, you know, look, we've got three quarters of a million, however many it was, small businesses. They need something that actually gets law to them in a way that you speak, in a way that you've been training people. And I'd built a few apps and I'd done a few other things. And, and they were all around this kind of, let's try and make Napster for law. Um, and they gave me a budget and they gave me some good people. And what if I don't do it now? When am I going to do this? So I did it and it worked. But a couple of years later, they decided that the, the plan was not to make it available to everybody. And it was just to keep it kind of within their particular brand. And that really wasn't what I wanted to do. I'd by that point got the... Uh, the bit between my teeth, I was utterly small business through and through, and there were so many different types of small businesses that I wanted to be helping that they didn't um, service at the time either. So I jumped ship, went independent with huge support from the community who were amazing because I definitely suffered from imposter syndrome um, and utter fear. You know, I have no idea what I'm doing. No one's trained me for any of this. 
Um, and I spent a few months muddling through with a lot of good people saying, no, we'll do it. We'll come aboard. We'll help. We'll be an expert. We'll buy the product. We'll distribute the product. Uh, we'll build the product with you, which was um, obviously a very key step for me because I'm a lawyer, not a technician, and I have not coded anything in my life. Um, and it kind of went from there. And I think, you know, we come back to the conversation we were having about people magnetizing other good people, just great people found us um, and came on board. And it's, it's a massive privilege when people who, you know, could be working for anyone suddenly say, yes, I'll stake my career, I'll stake my, you know, next few years on, on being part of this journey. Um, and you, you know, you feel that every night that you go to bed and you think I need to keep the lights on, I need to keep the money coming in, I need to make this really succeed because great people are relying on me to make it work for them. It's not just my vision anymore, it's kind of um, very long answer to your question. <laughs> it's a great answer though. I mean, long or short, it was a, it was a brilliant. And a few things I want to pick up on, and I'm, I'm going to mm. kind of start towards the end of that, which is around how you had great support from the community. Now, of course, yeah. focusing on freelancers, how has the freelance community helped you either get up and running or helping you now? But, but what part of freelancers played in the story so far of Virilio? A huge part, Ed, um, and it's one of the reasons why I love the freelance community so much because I hadn't got a clue what I was doing when I started out. I had a vision. I knew what values I wanted this business to have. I knew what it wanted, needed to achieve for, for small businesses across the board. But it was the freelance community that came together and said, you know, we'll, we'll help you build it. I, I couldn't have designed or built this business without having had the benefit of, you know, really great expertise that I couldn't have afforded as an as employees at the time um, and may not have needed for the entire journey. You know, I think when you start out a business, one of the mistakes a lot of people make is to assume that they need to employ everybody at the outset and that those people will be with them through every stage of the journey. The reality is, is, is not that. Um, and I think, again, I was lucky that I was surrounded by a lot of freelancers who educated me very early on about that but you know we designed the a lot of the early stages of the platform with with freelancers who came and who went but who offered just terrific expertise um, also great connections because half of the people that they said i needed or the things that i said i needed to do i had no idea what those things were or <laughs> who did that kind of work but the freelance community is so well connected that everybody said oh you know i've worked with so and so they do this don't worry we can we can make an introduction or you know what you need here is this i know someone who can help it was it was extraordinarily efficient but also it meant that we built at a heck of a pace but we built in a really robust way with very high quality product terrific people um, and it built a network around us in incredibly many of them became customers uh, some of them became experts because we absolutely trusted them and we wanted to showcase them and make them the people that other people instructed to so you know the, the business started with freelancers it supports freelancers we still use freelancers today and I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of actually making sure you get the right people um, and that you engage them in the right way which isn't necessarily you know owning them as such as as an employer so I mean I can understand how the from your perspective how that network of freelancers is pretty much 
you know kind of snowballed in terms of attracting other skills to you but how did you start when you were looking to bring your first freelancer on board um how did you go about finding them I reached out to other founder friends and said, who did you right, use okay. and who do you know and how did you find, you know, these these people? Um, and again, you know, I had a, a bit of a base network to begin with, but it was actually other other startups, other founders and other freelancers who said, oh, I know who can help you. It's so we had a freelance um, almost like a, a kind of rec recruiter, not a recruiter in a, a traditional sense, but he was very used to getting um, sort of experienced technical people together who would design the architect. So we worked with freelancers in that capacity. Um, and then that kind of snowballed into, right, what does it look like? What do we need to do next? How are we going to write content? I worked with you know, copywriters to try and find the right tone of voice and the right framework and set the right templates so that we could travel efficiently at pace after that and you know there were a couple of freelancers that we worked with in the early stages who subsequently came back and said actually we're going to stop freelancing we'll we'd like to join the company um which was also a really interesting point in time i mean ir35 and everything else aside um there i've said the swear word the ultimate swear word sorry ed i will um go eat humble pie in the corner later but That's you know, right. those kind of awful tax considerations aside that we tap danced around very, very carefully for obvious reasons. Um, when somebody who has been independent for, for a very long time says, actually, I'm going to give that up to come on board. I, I mean, it, it was probably an incredibly emotional moment for me. And actually what I did say to to both of the individuals who ultimately wanted don't shut up shop. Don't don't give up everything that you've created. You know, come on board and we'll employ you in all the right ways. But I don't want you stopping business and what you've become known for. That's not in anyone's interest. Why was it emotional? In yours. It's emotional because it was a real moment of. I think the whole journey of, of starting a business, it doesn't matter how you start it and who you are, whether you're on your own and you're solo or whether you're in a group of people doing it. I was very much solo when I started out. I think when other people say I believe and I believe that hard that this is what I'm prepared to do, it is very emotional um, in a good in a good way. But I kind of felt quite overwhelmed by it. It was just that really you believe that hard. That's just the nicest thing. Um, but I also wanted to make sure we did the right thing by them. I didn't want anyone giving up what they had become known for and what they loved for this dream because you know passionate though I was about Frilly and still am it was still a gamble for them at that point in time well I think it's kind of my understanding what their the client base you know hmm. um now you a conversation I wasn't expecting to have in this chat um but um that you mentioned was the imposter syndrome and the reason I want to just bring that up is because I don't doubt that anyone listening to it or there'll be many listening to it who who will nod their heads at that moment and go, I understand that. Just explain what that was to you and, and how you battled against that to, to build what you've built. Um, I don't really know why so many of us feel imposter syndrome. For, for me, and I think for most of us, it, it, it comes out of life experiences beforehand. Um, it's a huge risk 
to start a business. I think it's a huge risk to, to do many things in life. It takes serious guts to sort of jump off that cliff edge and say, I'm, I'm going to do it and I'm going to leave behind the stability that I've built up and I'm going to plow my savings into this and, you know, effectively risk the wrath of friends and family um, and, and become a hermit for the next couple of years because, you know, as um, <laughs> it's uh, all consuming quite often. I think for me, it was the fear of failure. It was the fear of, and not so much the fear of failure as the fear of, you know, people saying, well, I could have told her that that was a stupid idea. You know, anyone could have known that you wouldn't have been able to do that. Or, And I think it's, it's so personal and it's so raw and you're so in the public eye when you start these things up, whether you, you want to or not, that you, know, you do spend the whole time thinking, well, I've spent 20 years getting to a point in my career where actually I probably do know what I'm doing and now I've just chucked all of that away and I'm starting in a position where I've got no clue what I'm doing and I'm muddling along and the stuff actually that I'm decent at or was decent at before I started this journey I'm not doing anymore all of a sudden I'm having to figure out tax and finance and sales and marketing and you know, a whole multitude of other skills that I've never trained for I've not done 20 years of, of a career um, exploring and getting better at um, and I think for, for me, it was just that sense of, is this really a sensible thing? Am I really good enough? Am I strong enough? Um, and I remember getting to a point not that far in, probably about five months in, where it became crunch point. People were coming on, the freelancers that I was working with were starting to produce incredible product. And it felt like this sort of no way back moment. I've, I've got to kind of commit. I've got to go all in, two feet in. And I did. Um, I am definitely a pirate rather than a procrastinator. Burn the boat behind me, I'm going to go all in. But it was it was that moment where I just thought, I'm going to have to write something on my mirror so that every morning I wake up and I believe. And I wrote the word believe in red lipstick on my mirror. And I looked at it religiously for about the next two months that followed just as a kind of, you know, I can do this, I can do this. And I remember having this mantra that almost everywhere I walked, and I walked a lot in those in those few months, um, I would literally just sort of recite to myself, hold your nerve, you can do this, hold your nerve, you can do this. And I became very bored at the little voice in my head, sort of constantly chanting this. But, you know, it's it's a huge leap of faith. And you're asking a lot of very good people to take that leap with you, whether that's in working with you, um, whether that's in, you know, ultimately giving you money. You know, many, many of the people in my network also gave us money in our, our very first fundraising round and I felt the responsibility of that terrifically. Um, I still do, you know, I still feel that, you know, our, our shareholders made the dream come alive and they were giving us very small amounts that meant an incredible uh, amount to us at the time. They were almost apologetic about it. People would say to me, oh, I've got 500 pounds, it's not very much, but will it help? I felt like saying, 500 pounds, oh my God, what I can do with 500 pounds. Um, but yeah, all the time you have this fear that you're not good enough or you're not strong enough uh, or that you don't know enough. And I think what brings it home and you, you never quite, I don't think you never quite recover from that. You get stronger and better at dealing with it. But, you know, every time we go into a finance round and I think we're on sort of finance round number five and we've raised, you know, upward of two million pounds. But there's always somebody who will knock you down or ask you this smart question and judge you by whether you know the answer, not by what you've achieved and what the potential of the business is. So you just have to, I think, develop better armour and 
be sort of, you know, firm and stern with yourself about what you listen to and what you don't. Um, but you, but I, I mean, the way you mentioned the fear of failure and the imposter syndrome, you make it sound like rather than a barrier, which I'm sure it felt like, you've actually used it as leverage to spur you forward. So could you, do you think you would have got to this stage without it? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, those of those of, 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 of you who know me on, on Twitter already will know that occasionally I do use the hashtag defiance, not defeat. Um, and I think that sort of come out fighting um, and using it as a lever probably is very much symptomatic of my personality. But yeah, I wasn't going to go down. There were too many people, good people backing us and I was far too committed to, to the ultimate goal. I believe in the ultimate goal and I think that's what pulls you through. If you generally have a mission that is far bigger than you as an individual. You, you know, other people believe in it and other people, more and more people start to believe in it around you too, then there is no way back and you just have to deal with your own fears and your own doubts. Um, it can be a lonely place, mind you. You know, there have been moments where I've been the grumpy person in the corner where everyone else is celebrating the big win and I'm sitting in the Surely corner not. thinking, oh my God, you know, what's coming next? And I've got all of this other stuff going on. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's a good way to look at it, actually. You use it as, as, as a lever as opposed to something that kind of melts you down into a small wobbling jelly in the corner. Now, you challenge yourself, rightly, um, I say, I think, in terms of being able to continue to, to push forward and, and, you know, make sure your focus, etc. But to anyone listening who is kind of in agreement, who feels that they're in that, that you know, imposter syndrome now, why should someone buy this from me when they can get it from somewhere else? Why? Why should um, they put their faith in me, um, either as a client or a partner or whatever prospect? How would what would you advise to them based on your own experiences to kind of potentially see through the trees? Mm, people buy people, um, and I think you know people obviously like great products, and there's always almost inevitably always going to be another product that somebody could buy or another service that somebody could buy instead of yours, but this is where network and community really matters um, and, and, and having a visible profile and a set of values that is palpable. Um, I know that the people I love working with most, the people I recommend most uh, and the people I reach out to most that, you know, we don't currently have on the platform, but that I absolutely love because of what they do and how they say they operate. They're the people who are authentic, visible, um, have really strong values. Um, you know, anyone can make a product or a service, um, but it's the people who sit behind it that make the magic buy as much as the product. I love brands. I'm a massive believer in brands, personal brands, business brands, and often two of them are interchangeable. Um, I think that's really what gets you noticed and it's what gets people loyal um, and, and, you know, couldn't agree with you more. So, uh, absolutely. So, Frulio is three years old, three to a bit years old now. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and you've been working with freelancers, providing services for freelancers. You've immersed yourself in the freelance world as well. Saw you at the um, Ipsy Awards uh, last year, of course. You were very supportive of freelance heroes there too. But, um, and of course, you know, um, the, statistically, freelancing has changed. There are more of us. We're going through the um, uh, challenges that COVID is providing to us. So 
but from your experiences uh, and the way you immerse yourself within the, the community too, how has what have you noticed have been the biggest changes to freelancers and, and freelancing in the UK over the last well, how three years plus? I think some of the biggest changes, aside from the fact that there are more of us um, and there will be more freelancers going forward, I think inevitably, you know, em employment is going to be a big topic of conversation, both in politics, but also <laughs> for the economists for some time to come. There, inevitably, more and more people are going to be coming onto the market as freelancers. So I think those that are here already are kind of leading the way. Um, and have quite an important duty almost as role models to show those who are new to it how it's done and how it's done well. Um, so I think the communities such as yours and, and the prominent voices within it who really do lead the way um, by their behaviour, by the way that they speak, not, not preachy uh, or anything, um, you know, you guys will set, I think, a really nice pace and a really nice way of working for those who are new to it. You know, wider than that, I think it is a, a career choice that's now much more acceptable um, than it was sort of five or ten years ago. I think even five years ago, you know, you were if, if you were a specialist and you're perhaps an IT contractor or, or somebody quite niche, um, then freelancing was seen as acceptable. But for everybody else, it was kind of why don't you belong to a, an organisation? Weren't you good enough to be employed by someone else? I think that, thank God, has all fallen away. And I think, you know, we almost celebrate freelancers um, I don't think the government is celebrating freelancers enough right now but I, I think genuinely as a movement and certainly pre-covid it was very acceptable as a career choice and um, you know, very respected and I think organizations like Ipse and, and Freelance Heroes too have done a fantastic job actually of, of showcasing that. Um, I think the diversity of skills is definitely something that is snowballing. So I meet so many people who have skill sets that I didn't even know there was a label for um, and hadn't even appreciated just how useful um, or even vital in some cases they'd be and they are freelancers. So I think it's it's a very vibrant, very diverse community and I think it's becoming increasingly so. I think it's also becoming quite a knit. I think the conversations, that sense of community and camaraderie and belonging a bit like a flock, the comfort of the flock, is definitely something I've noticed more and more. People tend to be talking about where, what sort of group they belong to and what they're doing and where they're finding their inspiration. So I think freelancers are finding each other in a way that, you know, employees have always had the sort of the umbrella comfort of an em employer and a corporate brand, but, but freelancers have lacked and sometimes been, I think, quite isolated. Um, that seems to be you know, falling away to a degree. And I think anyone who is feeling isolated and is freelancing, you, you know, you need to find your flock um, because it makes a massive difference, um, both in terms of your your job opportunities and the inspiration for, for what you create, but also in terms of mental No, absolutely. I think, I love I think there's, no, sorry, sure. go ahead. No, I was going to say, I love the idea of, of, of when you said um, uh, that, um, that freelancing has become more respectable. And I, I, it's a shame that we've had to become more respectable, but I never really thought about that as being one of the significant changes in more recent years to freelancing. Yeah, but you think back, Ed, I mean, how many times would you have gone to an event where panelists describe themselves as freelancers? 
you know, I've noticed an increasing trend for for people to be in webinars online, obviously during this this COVID period, but but at, at physical events also in the in the last couple of years, proudly describing themselves as freelancers to an audience of you know freelancers and others, but you know all of whom leave the room quoting this person and feeling like wow, you know, it, you're right, it shouldn't have been the case that that it ever needed to be pointed out, but I'm definitely noticing there's much more recognition there's much more pride in the description um and as i say there's just so much more variety too no absolutely and i know that there's more businesses like you um who are looking to the freelance community to help uh, plug skill gaps and projects they have in their organization and you're incredibly approachable and welcoming but of course your time is precious too so what, what advice would you give to a freelancer listening who wants to pitch to an organization, to a larger organization, or um, either in response or wants to pitch their services? What would, what would cut through if someone approached you, for example? Making it personal. Find the person who is most relevant to you. Um, do your homework. I mean, freelancers do this far better, I think, than organizations. There's a lot of organizations who have salespeople who do not do this well. Um, but make it personal. Get to know the people in the organization. Um, showcase your skills. It, it, and in a non-pitchy way, I think, again, I see freelancers doing this so well, so often, Ed, and, and frankly, they should be the people teaching a lot of the corporates how to do this. You know, it's the engagement on social. It's the commentary. It's the, you know, sending the odd blog or report or whatever it might be to the person that they're trying to get in touch with and saying, you know, I saw this and thought of you essentially sounds a bit cheesy, but it's that, you know, I thought this would be interesting because I saw what you said the other day. I mean, it's that personal communication. Um, as I say, I actually think the freelance community do far better than than the corporates. But it's again, it comes back to people buying people. We'll have to put a little bit of legwork in and, and right now, you know, everybody is hugely distracted by going into survival mode and, and managing their own headcount. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges to the free, freelance community right now is, you know, corporates are slashing headcounts um, and they're trying really hard not to in most cases. Um, so any offer of, of support right now needs to be made or any engagement needs to be made with that in mind. Having said that, I think there are terrific opportunities who know that they need to do particular well, but they definitely can't afford to recruit people. Um, and in some cases, they've furloughed a whole lot of staff too, but now they have new orders coming in or desperately need uh, support with particular activities. So there's still definitely opportunities, but you've, you've got to be front of mind. You've got to be connected to the people who, you know, are the decision makers or who influence the decision makers. Um, and I think it's just about being smart with that. No, nobody is going to respond well, or very few people anyway, respond well to a LinkedIn DM that just says, I can do this. Shall we have a phone call? Um, you, you've got to be smarter than that. It, it's right. got to be about connection and humanity. It's no different, as we've always talked about before. You know, if you walk into a room of people that you don't know at a party or at a conference, you don't walk straight up to a person that you don't know and say, hey, I'm X, I do this. Can I give you a call? Um, you, you, you've got to ease your way into um, the conversation. <laughs> Some do. I'll never forget one event in particular where I sat down. Uh, it was one of those 
you know, kind of open networking, a, a speaker, and then more networking. And I sat down, about three seats down, they were empty. There was a guy who just leant across and gave me his business card. And, and I said, um, why do I want this? I, I think a little bit more politely than that, although not much. Um, and he said, well, you might need it at some time. And I, I didn't even know who he was. I didn't even know his name. <laughs> so, of course, I went, <laughs> no, you're right, thank you. Uh, give it to someone more valuable. Um, so um, it's it, uh, some people will do that face to face. Um, so uh, a couple more questions. The second one's about frogs, but the um, uh, I guess somehow try and answer this briefly. We are in the midst of um, the COVID challenge. Um, I'm going to call it. Um, so from your um, vantage point, what advice would you give to freelancers? Um, by way of the opportunities they should be seeking um, to, to, or, or where they should be putting their focus on to, to kind of help themselves? Uh, that is a big question. Um, I think, again, it comes back to people and connections. You know, make sure you're connected with the people that you want to be connected to or that you need to be connected to. And that can come in multiple different ways. If you're working uh, for people already, but payments are being delayed or projects are being downsized, you know, make make this personal in a nice way. I'm not anybody begs, but I am, you know, really encouraging people to maintain the personal connection. Don't resort to email uh, or, or voicemails, you know, keep that personal connection going. It really does matter. And I think the more prominent you are, people buy people, people like being surrounded by people. It is people that we trust to get us through this and, and you know businesses corporates need people that they trust if, if you are the sort of person that can be trusted and you know have confidence in that I think be smart about the way that you're connecting um, with new people that you don't know try and get introductions try and get word of mouth um, it's always more powerful but but also show how relevant you are I always say to anybody um, and and freelancers are no different in this Give people a vision of their world with you in it that shows how much better it is. Make sure it's their world that you're conversing in, not I'm X and I do all of this. Um, because then it's all about you and you're already putting up blockers to, to them seeing you as part of their world. We're, we're all inherently selfish <laughs> as human beings. We want our lives to be better before we want anyone else's life to be better. That's why we tell people on airplanes, put your own oxygen mask on before you help somebody else. Um, make sure that you are providing oxygen. Um, one of my very, very good friends who's a marketer, uh, Kim Arnold, a number of you may know her, she's a freelancer herself. And she said, just remember that sales is about helping people and marketing is all about showing people how you help and persuading them that it's you that they want to be helping them. And I think framing it that way is, is quite, clever because you know if you can't help right now because you're not top priority then stay connected maybe think about what else you could do or how else you could be using that time to be useful and to be front of mind without being you know <laughs> annoying um, but if you can help then really make sure that the way that you're demonstrating you can help is persuasive and it's personal um, and makes the people who need to be making the brilliant i love that um Thank you. Um, I've uh, you kindly invited me to uh, your office in London uh, last year um, and <laughs> met the team, but also met a number of frogs. Um, 
please <laughs> explain oh, for anyone who's listening why because you do this on social media from time to time too as well so um maybe we can you know remove the question that everyone is thinking what is your connection with frogs where the hell did the frogs come from <laughs> um, another frogs... <laughs> a lot of people ask this um i won't tell you the very long story be be behind the frogs because it's a story for another day but the frogs essentially came out of a, a a joke and it was a very small joke that isn't really that funny um that started within the team between a couple of members and it morphed into something that i swear to god i had nothing to do with but watched it play out and just thought this is incredible my entire team and and half the ecosystem that sits around us of, of you know including some very earnest people suddenly went mad over the frogs the reason we love the frog is because and it comes back to the goldfish um and again people who know me and my background will know that I'm, I'm quite obsessed with the goldfish a goldfish only ever grows as big as the bowl that it's in it can't get out it can't change it has no control over its environment frog by contrast can and the frog evolves so it changes while it's in the bowl but it can also climb out of the bowl and it goes off and explores the world. It has curiosity, it changes. Um, and we are a community, we're a brand, we're a team, we're individuals and we're a community that encourages uh, each and every one of us to be more frog. So go be curious, go evolve, have courage. Uh, feral, as, as anyone knows, who, who knows our backstory knows, um, feral means brave. It's a Gaelic name, it's a person's name. Um, and when you combine it with the .io of the, the platform, it becomes Ferilio, which is our rally cry. So we say, you know, be a frog. And as you leap out of the bowl into the great unknown and you start to evolve, don't shout at Geronimo, shout Ferilio. Oh, what a beautiful we'll take answer. you on your journey. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful answer to the last question. And again, any designers listening who are, while listening to this, currently designing the I've Been Picked Up by Murdy t-shirt, can you just add the hashtag be more frog underneath? That'd be great um so um how can anyone what's the best way i mean there's numerous ways to get in touch with you and i'll put all of those links into the show notes but if anyone does want to uh connect with you or connect with the forilio brand what's the best way bless you ed um do you know what i would say the best way can, to connect with us if you're looking for help right now is to connect with us over twitter and use the hashtag three hr pledge three hour pledge uh, because we have a whole slew of our amazing experts, yourself included, Ed, who have pledged three hours for free. I'm really sorry. Uh, no, sorry. Can you tell, talk about this? Because I completely haven't <laughs> mentioned this before, and I should have mentioned this, and I'm sorry. So, yes, can you just uh, give us a, a kind of a, a synopsis of what your brilliant drive is and, 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 and what, what was the reason behind it? Oh, well, it's a movement um, and we did it in response to COVID-19. So the hashtag three HR pledge, three hour pledge um, was uh, the brainchild after a few too many gin and tonics with a couple of members of uh, our community uh, who just said, look, we have to do something. We have to do something really fast. We watched our friends, our founder friends, our freelance friends, a number of our small business friends and indeed some of our corporate friends um, literally fall apart almost overnight when um, lockdown happened and it was heartbreaking. And there were so many people who were saying, well, I've, I've been furloughed or I'm sitting around or I don't quite know what the future means, 
but I have all this knowledge and you know at the root we're a platform that shares knowledge and we bring people together and we help each other so the three-hour pledge is our movement that we kicked off it also is accompanied by the hashtag leave no SME behind uh, because that's what we mean and we're deadly serious about it if anyone is struggling if anyone has questions uh, doesn't quite know what new government guidelines mean or how they can reconfigure their their business or they need an introduction whatever they need then we just group together and they're still barreling in these offers from from experts up and down the country to give their time for three um, so it's three hours of their time you don't have to take it all in one go um, but you can have up to three hours of any of the experts time um, and we're putting the banners out and there's a landing page that we can give you the links to as well so you can and see who's still up for grabs. Um, the wonderful thing is that so many of these experts have actually come back and said, well, I've done one, but I'll do another one. Um, and the stories we're starting to publish as well about sort of people who, who've, you know, gone on a journey and actually been supported by it. We don't make anything out of it. It is purely for the experts and the community to get together and try and, you know, fix stuff or grow stuff or change stuff um, we've also got lots of people who are starting up businesses for the first time who are reaching out and just saying well i really don't know any of this can somebody help me figure out social media or figure out cash flow and bookkeeping whatever you want we've probably got an expert for it um, so that i would say is probably the best experience that we could give um, any one of our communities today and obviously if you want to carry the journey on and you know, find out more or start creating materials etc then you know the standard frilio platform is there that is also free for three months so our pledge uh, as part of the movement was to turn our own platform free for three months so anyone using the hashtag to sign up on the platform will also get it free for three months amazing thank you very much Melia I mean <clears throat> I'm limited to how much we can talk for um, uh, but um, could easily have spoken for, for twice or if not longer than this call it's um, it is, um, I uh, warmed to you very quickly when we first spoke because you're very generous nature and the way that you um, kind of embrace those around you um, to help you, but also to help others too, um, which is why it's our podcast and uh, was absolutely desperate to get you on. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Ed. I stand on the shoulders of giants. There's a massive community that make this possible. It's not just me. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, Melly. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to Merle as much as I enjoyed talking with her. Uh, this podcast just simply wasn't long enough. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback or questions. Please do email us podcast at freelance-heroes.com uh, or search for the hashtag Freelance Heroes pretty much anywhere on social media and tune in next week for another edition of the Freelance Heroes podcast. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.